This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 2019. This is our first episode of the new year. Yes, it's a little late in the month, but, you know, it takes some time to start a new year. New Year's just don't start up on January 1st like the calendar wants us to. I felt like actually last night was January 20th. I'm recording this on the 21st. And last night was this ginormous super moon blood wolf moon thing, phenomena thing that happened in the sky. And I thought, oh, I do believe that my year has just begun. So technically, I'm actually doing this on the first day of the year because technically it's my new year and what I say goes because, well, (laughs) it's my podcast. I'm excited about the new year. Feels like a nice shift. Feels like something has settled in. Feels like there's less, well... I don't want to say panic or chaos. I mean, there's still panic and chaos in the world, but it just feels like, not that we're getting used to it, but that there's something else in the world alongside the panic and chaos. So I just, I have a a good (laughs) feeling-ish about this year. And I'm very excited because I am starting the new year with a podcast with a guest. And I know I haven't had one in a while, except for my octagon table discussion. And I used to have lots of guests. So in the new year, I am going to have a guest every month for the podcast, in addition to my own ramblings. And yes, in addition to our wonderful octagon table podcast episodes. My guest today is someone I met on Twitter shocking, right? Because most guests that come this way, I connect to on Twitter. And I connected to this person because they had a unique, joyous, humorous, zen approach to the world and life and language on Twitter. And there's a lot of joy and a little trickster energy and I was really drawn to that. Um, my guest today is a uh, many, many things, but he's mostly known as an author and a writer. He's written six, seven books. He's been an editor of many books. He writes articles for and essays for anthologies and periodicals. He's touched on every Buddhist kind of publication you can imagine between Tricycle and Shambhala Sun and even big things like the Harvard Divinity Bulletin. And he has authored a few books, one of which is The Idiot's Guide uh, to Buddhism, which is in its third edition because that's how many people have read it, thank God. And his newest offering to the world is a little gem of a book called Pause, Breathe, Smile, which are really pretty much instructions for life and all you need. Um, uh, My guest today is a gentleman named Gary. Do you say your name Gak or Gok, Gary? I don't know what to call myself. I'm always here. I don't care what you call me as long as you don't call me late for lunch. No, Uh, it's Gok like clock or Gach like Bach, but the latter, even I have to practice. 
(laughs) (laughs) I thought it was Gawk, but you never know. Like suddenly you're reading the name and you're like, Oh Lord, how do I say this? Well, how do I, how do I screw this up? So I wanted to... By the uh, way, before we go on, I just wanted yeah. to, if I may, of course. I wanted to say, you know, it's a great honor to be your, your guest and your first guest of the year. Um, I've, no, I've discovered something, and I'll share it with you and uh, the uh, community. This January, the first 20 days were a free trial period. See? It wasn't really the new year. It was a free trial period. Right? This is what I was thinking. Yes. And 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 if people still don't put, you know, buy into that, they're going to have 30 days and then look forward to uh, the lunar new year, which will be uh, the year of the uh, hog. The year of the hog. Hmm. I'm going to have to meditate on that. Uh, and yes, mm. thank thank you for that. That yeah, mm. that the and the lunar new year begins February fifth. That's what I thought. Yeah, but in Asia it goes on, you know, for days before and days after because they like a good party <laughs> around the new year. As who doesn't? Party, party. Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? Uh, so I love the way you begin your book. Pause. Breathe. Smile. Uh, you Thank say, you. when I'm asked by strangers, what do you do? I could reply that I write books, swim in the San Francisco Bay, and love creativity in myriad forms. Yet more often than not, I'm sincerely stumped for words. Honestly, I'm inexpressibly grateful to have a grounding in my life from which everything grows. Call it Zen, call it mindfulness, call it a path of awakening. These are just convenient labels for the one thing needful, which gives my life solidity and direction, meaning and joy. Labels are good for cans, not people. And you go on to talk a little bit about what mindfulness mindfulness is and how we are here in this moment, just breathing. And in the end, that's all we really are is breathing and how the experience is beyond words. And then you make a little just ending note that says all the rest is commentary. And then you turn the page and it says commentary. So the whole book is just commentary. And uh, I so love that Gary, because it's just, um, it, you know, we spend a lot of time on commentary. (laughs) (laughs) As humans. Commentary on the commentary. (laughs) Yes, and then more commentary on the commentary of the commentary. I, you know, I, I and I, I have to say, as I, as as each year comes into my life, I mm-hmm. enjoy less commentary and more just the breathing in, the breathing out part. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what is it that you mean by all the rest is commentary? What are you pointing to for yourself and, and in this um, illustration you give in this book of, mm. of this practice? Mm. Well, thank you for axing. Um, and thank you for, for reading it so well. Um, hearing, you know, one's words in another's voice is always... A great honor. Um, you know, at some level, there's a little rhetorical 
you know, literary thing going on because I like writing what they call literary nonfiction, uh, creative nonfiction, they call it, um, rather than some kind of um, thing we've all been through, experienced before about, you know, I'm going to show you this and there I've just shown you that and, you know, expo expository discourse, which is fine, except for mindfulness and for this kind of experience I wanted the reader to experience for themselves throughout the book. And the part that we didn't go through is just where I say, let's take three, three breaths together. So for the sake of this um, conversation we're falling into, I invite you as the host and all the listeners right now to be aware of their breathing. It's not that they're not breathing, but that um, we have 21,000 breaths a day and we're not conscious of them. And see what happens if we're breathing and listening rather than just listening, even if you know we think we're listening. If we're breathing and listening, then we have more concentration, I think. And whatever may be in our conversation for any particular pair of ears, may be, they may be more uh, available to it. And so the reason that I did the book starting that way was Zen. You know, it's about mindfulness, but it's also about Zen. It's, also, it's about mindfulness, it's also about Buddhism. That is to say, mindfulness isn't just a set of instructions um, or, you know, little quick fixes that one can do to remedy, um, you know, needless suffering. But rather, it's a path of awareness that we um, are already on that we can more fully dive into. And I'm inviting people in the beginning of the book to dive into it right then and there. And then after that, the commentary is three, um, you could call them booklets in the table of contents. There are three intersecting spheres. And I say, I'm, I'm very happy to have a, a, a table of contents that isn't just the usual do this, do this, do this, columnar, you know, it's kind of a phallic thing to have a table of contents that goes straight <laughs> up and down and do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you go up and down this kind of thing. And instead, there's three intersecting spheres, which is more feminine, and you can pick any one because each one connects with all the other two. And so the title is an invitation. You can always practice, pause, breathe, smile. And it's also the outline of the book, which, you know, I'm calling commentary. Yeah. Um, commentary to one's own immediate direct experience of life. And the three phases that I use are really fundamental in Buddhism. They're intentionality, um, moral values, and action. Um, sometimes known as ethics. And then breathing is quite commonly known as meditation. I don't need to go on about that. And for the smile part, um, I'm using that to refer to um, highest wisdom, mm -hmm. which is very empowering and without which one can go about this. If you have the wrong view from the beginning, you know, you get stuck in this, see, if I do this, that will happen and that'll be good. And if I do this and it doesn't happen, then well, then what's wrong? <laughs> Which is already this kind of setup for failure because the view doesn't come from that. Right. Mm, I call it a mystic view, but, you know, that, that has connotations of 
bells and incense smells and stuff. It's just, it's a not, it, like Gregory Bateson would, would talk about the um, uh, double bind, which is like dualism. So, so the commentary of the book is um, kind of five examples of how you can recognize and incorporate uh, ethics, you know, moral values in your life as, as mindfulness practice. Um, the second is, is, is mindfulness meditation, including walking and sitting and stuff. And the third, and it has the uh, traditional um, text of the full awareness of breathing with commentary, which is one of the two mm-hmm. kind of foundations of traditional mindfulness that is, you know, 2,600 years old. And then the, um, the, the wisdom parts are about um, impermanence, interconnectedness, or interbeing, and um, non-self or openness. Yeah. And then there's an end commentary <laughs> where, you know, the, the narrator comes back and, you know, kind of sums up with some pr- uh, practice tips and stuff like that. So, uh, thank you for that. For that, uh, <laughs> sorry to be. No, no, no. It's it's great. Longer it's all, than I thought you'd expected. But it's all the landscape. That's the commentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's all the landscape of where where I want to go. And I just wanted mm, to start mm. back where you were exactly. at the beginning, where you invited me and my listeners just now to breathe while listening. Yeah, I'm trying to breathe while I'm talking, too. Yeah. Which which isn't always easy. It's really easy to get caught up in the talking voice that doesn't breathe. Yeah. And so the minute you asked me to breathe and listen at the same time, Mm -hmm. uh, something became included inside of my listening that that wasn't there before. So the listening at first was, I'm going to be listening for content and making sure I'm tracking (laughs) And that I'm being a good host and uh-huh. that I'm doing it right because there's a right way and a wrong way in my brain and all that kind of stuff. And then the minute you invited me to breathe and just watch my breathing while I was listening, an incredible amount of spaciousness yeah. entered, um, Yay. My, yeah, entered my being. And I looked up out my window and saw the wind and moving the leaves. And there was suddenly a whole world in which you and I were sitting and connected in. And there were bodies involved with my breath. Uh And there was um, the space around me. And so I was able to immediately uh, listen from a much wider, deeper place. And being a person who's, you know, been a practitioner myself for a a little over 20 years, Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful that we forget every day the power of this practice. And then someone says, let's just stop and breathe. And immediately the treasure and the gift comes, comes into the space. And um, everything shifts again in that moment. It's so, it's just so profound. Hmm. And what a wonderful thing to begin a new year with. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and 
You know, one of the things that I've been on a bit of a mission about the last few years, and and I think why we connected on Twitter and why I wanted you here is I've been really wanting to offer the world the very gift of this pausing, just the pausing part. And it's why my little foray into teaching this stuff and guiding this is called unplug. Right. Um, you know, yeah, like unplugging from it all. And this, the importance of pausing and how, um, and how we are, especially in the West, um, you know, not at all gifted with the education of pausing uh, as a child, you know, or as a, as, as a young adult or coming into the world. And um, the incredible, pa- I think it's a very punk rock thing to do, to pause in our culture. Oh, so? Well, you know, I think it is that it's in the spirit of, you know, I think of, I mean, I know you're a poet and you're in the Bay Area. Uh, it's in that spirit of those beats, those early beat poets. It's in the spirit of this, you know, I'm not going to let this machine mm. um, take over this animal body of mind. Hmm. I got it. Yeah. How did you... How did you come to this path, Gary? Where did you discover the <laughs> wait, 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 this, wait, the programs, wait, wait, the programs, what? 40 <laughs> minutes, we've already talked 10. So what is this, the Monday, the Sunday's unplug, and then Monday, Gary gives you part eight. <laughs> well, I, 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 Chapter I, one. I, I can explain simply that when I was eight, a mystic vision um, you, we say came to me. I I, I had, I mean, which is a possessive form. Yes. There, there was a mystic vision that I encountered when there I was, was a, eight. There was a visitation. Something visited oh, you. visitation. Yeah. And there was a visit. Do not ask what is it. But I tried uh, mentioning it, and I saw that people wanted to put a box, put it in a box that it didn't fit in. And so I just, you know, in a jeans jeans men's jeans pockets, I don't know about women, on the right-hand side, there's a little smaller pocket up above the pocket. Yes. And I sort of put it there, like a piece of gold that I didn't want to get mixed with everyday change. And then just like two years later, uh, my grandfather had me going to the corner store to buy him cigars. And I'd buy comic books. And instead, I used my allowance uh, to buy a 35-cent paperback book that was on the paperback book spinner called the way of zen no alan Watts. you were 10 years old and you bought the way of zen yeah well i was precocious so um (laughs) yes that's so fucking it had a beautiful cover i mean how could you not and uh page 37 it was he was talking about something that had a sanskrit name and I realized, wait a minute, that was what I saw. That was what I experienced. And it doesn't have anything to do with creator deities or eternal souls or judgment or any of that stuff. And I just said, wow, that must mean that when I'm resonating with the universe, I'm Buddhist 
or that Buddhism explains to me, me, better than anything else, else yet I found. So from that point, there was a period of, well, you know, I got a little blue. There used to be blue books that you could get for a nickel or a dime or 15 cents if they were bigger. And I got one on uh, yoga and I started learning about breathing and, uh, you know, started learning meditation on my own because there were more um, living, there were more Buddhists behind glass cases in museums mm. than living teachers talking to other people on cushions. So some teachers came into my life as I kind of grew uh, up. I'm from L.A. I don't know if anyone ever did. Anyone grow up in L.A.? <laughs> I'm anyway, trying. that's an I'm a, really trying. Sorry, I'm really trying. Um, you know, aside from <laughs> the few, <laughs> the happy few. No, so you know, I met a few. Like I met uh, Paul Reps, and Katagiri Roshi taught me Zazen. Suzuki Roshi start a Zen center, and I visited that. And I, I met Thich Nhat Hanh the second time he came to the United States, and I fell in love not only with the way he teaches Buddhism, but his community. Yeah, because he travels with the monks and nuns of uh, his community, and I said, "Wow, this is great! It's a community that I felt." I could uh, spend the rest of my life with, you know, I felt warmth and as well as light. So then I've been practicing in that tradition. There was, and I had a, I had a Hasidic teacher for a while and I've had a Sufi teacher, which I love and all that, but this has sort of been my way mm. from that time on. And, uh, and when I came to be writing the book, the way it verbalized itself for me was that in the beginning, um, mindfulness was a point of view. No, in the beginning, mindfulness was a point of reference. I'd see myself in relation to it. And then it became eventually a point of view. Um, and then it was, it be, it's my path. It's my life. Yeah. There isn't even a point of view to it. There is my point of view, but that's just my point of view. So, um, in a nutshell, <laughs> next question. Or yeah. no, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I don't mean to. So, it that's moves. that's the answer to your question. I don't know how it. Um, yeah, I'm, I just. I, I, I'm kind of a little shy still about talking about I, 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 I'm just. Yeah, no, it's it's a beautiful little nutshell. And it, it just. <laughs> explains um you know that first encounter thing is always what i'm interested in visitation yeah yeah and so then that and then this <laughs> this way of zen alan watts book i mean alan watts is alan a watts. huge huge teacher of mine through his recordings and i met him wow yeah i met i made a pilgrimage to see him and then it turned out i had a friend who was later was living on the houseboat that he had an office on. Yes. And yes. He, he invited me at one point, he invited me up to his home in uh, Mount Tamalpais, which is a beautiful kind of Neo Frank Lloyd Wright mm. um, wooden cottages all adjoining. And he had a meditation room with the biggest crystal I've ever seen. Wow. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah. So you and me, kid. Yeah, Alan Watts. Yeah, yeah. He's been a he's someone who helps crack my head uh, open. You know, uh, he's one of those ones that can kick that can lay a paragraph on you that helps you step from for that those parallel train tracks, you know, one is right. normal the, ego right. mind and the other is the transcendent. The non-dual versus the dual, yeah. And he can, within right. a paragraph, he's one of those writers that um, suddenly you find yourself, you know, your mind splits open and, and everything uh, looks different. And uh, and then, of course, you go chasing after that moment, uh, you know, for a few <laughs> years again, uh, which is, you know, and that's really something that I've come to be so grateful for in this path is and yeah. and in in and that's the thing you were talking about it was like first mindfulness was yeah. this this thing and then it mm-hmm. became this path and now it's just this thing that you live into and and i see so much of what the quote unquote you know Buddhist path is, or any kind of awakening path. It could be any mm-hmm. form of teachings get you there, but sure. it is that 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 positioning where there's something you want and you're a seeker mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. seeking after it, and it's an object of some kind. Whether it's mm-hmm. the knowledge to crack your mind open or to have that transcendent experience. Um, and then you the get, pearl. A, yeah, the pearl, exactly. And then on that path, usually by accident, <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a, a crack that happens and you make the leap for anywhere from 10 seconds to 10 minutes to 10 days of some sort of an awakening mind experience. Mm-hmm. Could be a visitation, could be an acid trip, it could be a 10-day retreat, it could be a parent dying. I mean, whatever it is, there's an expansion suddenly and you're you're living in a different realm. And then slowly it sinks away and you long for it like the beloved and Mm, you you want desperately to just be back with that space. And so you look, now you're even more of a seeker. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I got to find the way to to make that permanent. Um, Right, right. and then there becomes this thing that happens where, and it's what they talk about in Zen, where ordinary mind is mm. the same as this other mind. And, Buddha and mind. Buddha mind. Yeah, awakened mind. mind. Yeah, and that there, yeah. you see that there really is, it's, it's all happening at once, and it's sometimes... A, a slight shift of perspective and sometimes it's just taking three breaths like we did at the beginning mm. of this podcast. Mm. Um, and that it's always here. It's like that parallel train track. It's mm. always right next to us. Um, mm. My first Dharma teacher used to say, you know, the mind of the Buddha is, and she'd snap her fingers right there. And I'd look at her and roll mm. my eyes like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> like a Valley girl. But I, it's, it is. It is right there. Um, and it's, and that the seeking, I think the point of my whole ramble here was that the seeking mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. gets in the way of 
it being here all the time. That's part of the path. Yes. It has to get in the way, and we have to recognize it getting in the way, and then kind of sit with that for, as you say, um, the being cracked open. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how you put it, by the way. Uh, I caught the way you put it. I've I've now uh, formally um, acknowledged in my life by giving it an acronym because that's what we do in this in this decade. Um, and I, I call it um, Guiyao, which is G O O Y O W. Guiyao is getting out of your own way. Right. Guiyao. Guiyao. <laughs> Guiyao. Getting out of your own way. Yeah, yeah you say that a lot, I've, I've noticed. Ah, or, yeah, it's probably it, my it, life's work, Gary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then who is, if that's your, you know, and then so you right. get into the whole, right? Who's you the get your? into the question of who's getting out of the way if there's no self and so forth. Right, and then. Um, which is interesting. I think this is where, the, if I may just, insert one more thing please because you know we can only say so much what well, alan watts said what is it did alan watts yeah he once said one crazy mouth isn't big enough to tell it all <laughs> <laughs> i think one of the things that makes mindfulness or zen or both different than you know at least in terms of the encounter the visitation the process the seeking than say yoga which is very popular um, or even Judaism or Christianity is the idea that we're not trying to um, control anything. There's no yoga. You want to take a deep breath, and there are there are whole books on breathing and how to breathe right, and all the muscles and just goes they go on and on and on about the physiology. And yeah, it's true. It's good, and it's hel- it's helped me a lot too. But the the I guess it's almost the miracle of mindfulness. You could say is that we it's a practice of just being aware of the breath as it is right now, and that awareness of it can be a full awareness even if it's not full breathing. Mm-hmm. And by giving full awareness to the breath, it'll become full when it wants to yeah. once it's recognized. But it, it's not a matter of. Now, breath, I want you to be full, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to make my diaphragm move like this, and my pelvic floor will go here, and I'll have a, a circular, you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's true. It's good. I breathe my left nostril, my right nostril. But this is the idea of the um, small, the ego, the small self, the skin-encapsulated ego, becoming one with the over-self, the over-soul, of which it's already a part. Uh, but instead, this is that's the Hindu, the Christian, the Jewish mm-hmm. idea, I think. But, but in mindfulness, it says we don't have to do anything. We already are breathing. And what a gift. What a miracle. What a awakened moment to be alive in this moment. So to me, that's how... It has a and so and so just to kind of put a point on that, it has a way of in, well, like you said, it, 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 but everyday mind is Buddha mind. We don't become enlightened in some other realm. 
Yes. And then come back. Oh, I went. I went to Esalon. <laughs> right. I went on a twenty-day retreat in Omega, and I was enlightened. But that was over there. That's in Omega. Now, how do I bring it back here? It's 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 always here. We're always here wherever we go, and this and it's in this life of this everyday life that is the only place where awakening can take place. You know. So we don't transcend. And, you know, and, and zone out. We're always, you know, aware of the uh, wind through the trees and the people that are listening to us and that we're listening to ourselves and of this spaciousness without limit. It, it's, such a, it's such a great, incredible point you're making because, <laughs> you know, I know, you know, growing up, in the West, in America, in California, uh, in the sick, you know, just growing up in the 20th century, that no matter what, there is this. Um, even though I was not raised Catholic or Christian or anything like that, but but we're infused by this savior mythology and this, um, you know, happily ever after mythology. Like there's a, mm. there's a lot of mythology about if I could just get to the promised land, mm. all will be good. If I just get the house with the white picket fence, you know, it's why my, this podcast is called Waking from the American Dream. You know, it's like mm -hmm. if we just, and um, I used to, when I first started seeking in my 20s, which was in like the 80s, uh, you know, I went to the Bodhi Tree Bookstore here in L.A. And then, Melrose. Yeah, this beautiful uh, little gem of a place where it's like, if I just find the right book with the right words in it, I will be rescued from this pile of anxiety and depression and confusion that I am. <clears throat> yep. And please yep, something, yep. this enlightenment thing, um, you know, please, where is it? And how, how far do I have to drive? And do I need to take an airplane? And, and, and it's over there. And there's some Shangri-La in my mindset, even that it's like far away from me. And, and so just unpacking what you said about that, this mindfulness, this, this space here, this, this path is, you know, a, a path assumes that they're, we're going from here to there. But that's the trick of this particular mm -hmm, path mm -hmm. of Buddhism and Zen, mindfulness, mm -hmm. all this, is mm -hmm. that yeah. um, the path actually just takes you right back to yourself. <laughs> the path is the goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and The path is, is seeing the path, and the goal is being on the path. Right, and just knowing that you are the path. Uh, there, there, there is, is. That's it. There's no yeah. it, 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 it because they're not because of the reality of non-dualism. Well, because of the reality of non-dualism, there's also dualism. But forget that. Because there's an essential non-dual nature of reality. Ends and means can be flipped. Yes. So the idea of the ends that we're seeking can be the mean, The means can be the ends. Yes. There, and so they say there is no path to peace. Peace is the path. Insert whatever you're seeking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I know as a, a person myself who've stepped into this role the last few years of introducing mindfulness and creating space for it on yeah. a Sunday 
with some sitting meditation with people and stuff. And also, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm borrowing the, the secular aspects of it too. I mean, it's become a very on trend thing now. I mean, you know, once we had mindfulness based stress reduction Mm -hmm. uh, being created um, back East, um, which is an incredible thing because it's actually bringing this practice to people that, you know, are would never get exposure to it and they're getting actual health and psychological benefits from it. But then it becomes this tool right. of, of something. And I find myself really, and I'm wondering if you do too, having to walk this line with people between, yes, we're here and you will get some benefits. And yet it's in the being here and just pausing here, which is the benefit. You know, I, it's really hard for me to language benefits without undermining the essence of this practice too. Mm-hmm. I think something you said about the seeking resonates with me where you, uh, in your own, in your own sharing our stories, you shared how you became, you became like a deeper seeker or, you know, more mm-hmm. hardcore seeker. And I think that things like MBSR, which is fantastic or search inside yourself or, apps or all these secularizations of uh, ancient teachings with modern scientific Mm -hmm. uh, uh, emphases and discoveries are all wonderful and any benefit from any of them might um, prompt some people to want to take a deeper dive. Uh, Yeah. And I say that because, um, well, I was sitting once with a practice group and a woman got up, she stood up and she said, I've been sitting here now for what, five years. And I don't, I haven't noticed anything different. And nobody said anything. She walked out. In other words, nobody could explain because it was a sitting group. Nobody was talking about the ethical um, dimensions of, of living this path in relation to other people rather than it just being about me mm-hmm. and about the nature of suffering and the nature of the creation and liberation of suffering as which is a Buddhist concept that still does isn't I don't know if it's being translated yet into secular scientific ease yeah and the whole non-western uh, non-dualism, although to say that isn't true because there is non-dual roots in Christianity and Judaism and in the West. Yep. So that's sort of how I put it is that, you know, you find a benefit. That's fine. I mean, one, if we didn't, and it's true in the West, we tend to want to seek more than in the East where you kind of grow up with this kind of awareness of the way things are where you either know you already know your God or you know that um, Godhood is everywhere or, you know it's it's a more everyday reality but and so in the West it's good it's, it's darn good that we want to try to find something um, that'll uh, relieve or alleviate or ameliorate our unnecessary suffering and then once we do um, 
it kind of behooves us to step back and say, well, how do I, it's like you said, acid trip. If you took an acid trip, you'd say, well, how do I do this without acid? Right. You know, how do I discipline, since my mind is capable of doing this, how do I do it without the trigger of a drug of, of something like that? So that's kind of how I look at the, the bennies, <laughs> the benefits <laughs> thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. And in the book, I think you notice there's, there's a part in there where I'd say, you know, don't, there's, it has three traps, tips about traps. And one of them is this thing I call gaining mind. Where if you're looking to gain anything from this, it's a setup for failure. Because yeah. the idea of self-help is helping a self that <laughs> is, is already in need of deconstruction yes. rather than further concrete walls. Yeah. You know, it, it's, the minute you set up the least hair's breadth or width of calculating mind let's mm. see you know the calculating mind yes. you're you're immediately uh, you know you've removed you've, you've exiled yourself from this spacious realm of um the, the, the beloved kingdom as dr king would, would, would call it yeah everything then becomes an object including yourself and when uh, uh, an uh. object um and yeah. that's one of the problems with western science too is they don't um, include subjectivity until yes. recently, and that's where you get the people who are Tibetan monks who are ascertained as not being a random occurrence when their mind is capable of doing this. So let's measure their brain waves, and then if they if we find that's true, let's do randomized placebo double blind experiments with people. And then you're allowing subjective experience to be objectively studied. But the problem is, not always is are the scientists, including themselves. <laughs> yes. But more and more. But it's but it's wonderful. And it's wonderful that so many of the mindfulness neurologists and scholars are themselves practitioners, like John Kabat-Zinn, yes. who comes from a very deep Zen background. So. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it really is this beautiful mm. evolution, you know, natural, con you know, like consciousness itself is whatever this is, this consciousness, which I'm so fascinated by, but that this this necessary objectification that happened with the age of enlightenment, which is such a funny yeah. word for it, because. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opposite of enlightenment in some ways, the way we're talking yeah. about it. But um, which leads to the industrial revolution, which yeah, leads. right? Which and it's so it's all this separateness, separateness, and, we, and, and self, in, yeah. self and independence becomes a thing. And now this, uh -huh. you know, this beautiful, and you know, the fact that you talked about Thich Nhat Hanh and how he and a number of teachers, but he being such an incredible force these last. 40, 50 years um, coming to the, you know, coming to the, to the West, being exiled from Vietnam, but coming here and bringing, mm -hmm. and this, this beautiful word he brought to our language, interbeing, uh, mm -hmm. which talks about the interdependent nature of reality, which took me a couple of years to really first wrap my head around when I first encountered it, which was mm -hmm. in 97, when my very, very first retreat, I'd had, I had one Thich Nhat Hanh cassette 
I would listen to his um, meditation where um, I am a mountain solid, I'm a flower fresh, I am water calm. Uh, that meditation, and I had this one thing that would help my anxiety. And uh, I went to a five day retreat to uh, to see what it was like, and immersed myself in his world, and heard this verb, verb noun thing, interbeing, <laughs> inter are, um, and in, and intellectually you know, wanted to understand it. And then, you know, all you need is one moment with Thich Nhat Hanh where he picks up a piece of paper and says, what, what do you see? And um, then he begins to blow your mind because he sees the clouds of the rain that mm-hmm. watered the tree that this came from and the many hands that it took to bring it here. And then suddenly mm-hmm. interdependence um, is not a concept, but is a... Right a beautiful reality in every single object, including yourself, um, <laughs> instantly. Um, and, and it is that interbeing nature that brings this ethical part, I believe, into this conversation and, and is the, the part that's, you know, this, this ethical part. I always feel that when I'm in a, a Western retreat and, and the, um, Mm. The, um, mm. the, the practices come up, you know, or any kind of vows or the bowing or any of, of the stuff that's not Western that comes up, you know, it's maybe less so now, but certainly 20 years ago, 15, 10 years ago, you'd feel a rustle of tension in the room because we Westerners, we don't, we don't do, um, we, we're of service on a certain level, but we do independence much better. We don't do surrendering or bowing or um, this interdependence thing and this people telling me what to do thing is harder for us. And um, yeah, the Bodhisattva vow doesn't really map congruently over the Protestant work ethic. <laughs> it's well said. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's kind of orthogonal to it, but it is the Buddhist work ethic. I do this, not just for myself, I do this because I'm aware that I am interconnected with all beings. And so, for my benefit and others, not just others, I say all beings, because then I'm completely blowing out of the water any sense of self. Right. So that if I do any act of charity to the houseless person, on the corner after this program and my going to the grocery store, there isn't a sense of me and him and the gift as being three separate things. And in doing that, I've benefited myself. I've unloosened my own heartstrings, which which had previously thought I was too busy to deal with other people. I'm just going to do groceries and recognize this kind of common humanity that exists among all beings, a fellowship. It certainly is probably going to help. I mean, well, I know the guy, so mm. <laughs> he's a regular. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just—it's like the 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 the, uh, the token, the software, the money wants to be exchanged. So interbeing becomes a quite different notion than well, like in this instance, we say charity, which can be there. I've given you something out of my coin purse, aren't I? Mm-mm-mm. You know, yeah. But the actual root of of charity in Greek is love. In Greek, ah, oh. 
Caritas is is one of the eight words for love in Greek. So yeah, it doesn't necessarily come to us easily from our own perspective, which is why Thich Nhat Hanh created a word for it. But that was the vision I had when I was eight. Mm. And I just couldn't put my my head around it. Like, you know, how does it, what does it explain it? But the, in the book, I, I mentioned two um, examples, one ancient and one modern. And the ancient one is Indra's net, which if nobody's heard of, you can look it up, Indra, I-N-D-R-A, Indra's net, which is an ancient uh, concept from India of the inter- inter- unimpeded interpenetration of all things. And then the current example I talked about is a holography, which is where if, it, if I took a photograph of a skateboard in midair using laser light to film it, um, and then I took a laser light and I projected it onto the film, you'd see the skateboard in midair and you could walk around it even though it's made out of light. So you can make a 3D image. But then, and here's the kicker, if you cut or just the corner, a little corner of the film, and throw the rest and put the laser light on that, you would still see the whole skateboard in midair. Mm. Because every part contains all the rest. Oh, yes, right. And vice versa. <laughs> you know, this is this is fairly mind-boggling, but it, it seems that scientists are saying, well, this seems to be the nature of physics. It seems to be the nature of the brain. Yes. They're saying the brain is a holographic storage system. You know, the, the, even though they're very big now because of the research grants on studying which part of the brain gets blood and therefore lights up and therefore has heat and therefore is, is trackable. Um, they can't find a, a place where the self or the soul resides. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good luck, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, so, yeah, interbeing. Um, yeah. And, and, and I'm so and happy I, to hear what you say about, about Thich Nhat Hanh, too. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he blew, literally blew my mind that week on so many levels. But this, this, it is this interesting, this holi- holographic way. And, and here we are now, we already do have that the West is, you know, what you said, like with quantum physics and this holography in the brain and, that we are, here we are conversing about it. Here we are trying to understand it from these different angles. And this is what always blows me away, Gary, is that this stuff was written down 2,500 years ago. There was an understanding of it all. (laughs) Kelly, what I agree and what blows my mind is it isn't considered science yet. Uh, Yes. I read. I was reading. You know, I won't say who. I was reading a book by famous, a famous bestseller, and he's talking about Buddhism. And whenever he talks about science, he says, "I say, well, science is just finding out." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, who science are you talking about?" Exactly. Because if you've used your own mind as part of the universe to study the universe, huh? Yep. And you've made that kind of your lifelong study. And you've passed this teaching down for, you know, uh, I don't know how many millennia now. Uh, 
Right. There's certainly been enough studies <laughs> that have, I mean, what's amazing is they'll come up in science, they'll say, we've just now determined about how many thought forms a human brain has in a fraction of a second. And it's something like, you know, 64 to the 16th power. Well, whatever that number is, it's exactly the number that the Buddhist said are the numbers of thought formations we have in a split second. Yeah. So, yeah. gee. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really great. I think we're living in, like, Renaissance number two. Mm-hmm. If Renaissance number one was the rediscovery and... and uh, Reemergence into uh, ancient Greek and Latin Roman culture in the Renaissance. One, uh, this this Renaissance two uh, is, I think, being fueled by. Well, it's not my thing. I think it's Stephen Prothero's that um, the the uh, discovery of East Asian and uh, Southeast Asian, that is to say, Sanskrit based and Chinese based um, studies. Um, are just dynamically reshaping our our senses of who we are, where we are in relation to each other in the world, and what do we do about it? Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah, I I absolutely agree. There is, it is, and it, yeah, and it certainly started about fifty, sixty years ago, or you know, or whenever Suzuki mm-hmm. that you know, if we first started having those encounters. I've read that great book about John Cage and Zen and his Zen. Wait, a book about John Cage? Yeah. written. Which one is that? Oh, it's on my bedside table. I can't get to Mm. it right now. I mean, I think John Cage, 1950. He gave a concert called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. Silence. Yes. (laughs) So we're back to the Renaissance, too. It's an exciting time that we're living in. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And... (laughs) Uh, but before, I just would like to end, though, with because a lot of the work I do, I, I, I'm trying to be a bridge right now in my life between mm-hmm. the chaos of everyday mm-hmm. life that, you know, mm-hmm. we met on Twitter. You know what it's like on social media. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, social media is shaped by who you follow and, and, and who you connect to there. And, and I noticed you posted something about generations that had a thread of about 200 people. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. So, but but I, I, I'm trying to be a, a bridge these days for people around this no self space, which we talked a lot about here, and the and what is really the power of this practice ultimately to connect us to this Buddha mind nature and this world that we live in, right. and the. Uh, the lure of it, the pacing of it, the the many rabbit holes you can go down in a day with it, the anxiety, depression roller coaster, the political roller coaster, all of it. Yep, um, yep. And and so I just would love some advice from you and your sage self around um, how to be in this world and not be of it. Mm-hmm. For these fine listeners that we have here. Well, it's a 
it's it's like the let's put the pedal to the metal question for what we've been talking about, and I appreciate that. Not that I necessarily have an answer, but I do um, practice in this tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh, which we call now the Plum Village Community of Engaged Buddhism. And the key, the hit word there is engaged. Um, I think what keeps me sane, I know what keeps me sane is the practice. Um, and for me, um, it's, it's, it's a mindfulness practice, it's a Zen practice, it's, I don't know, is it a Jewish practice? Without trying to call it anything, there's an element to uh, engagement that I think is just très important. Uh, engagement meaning that whatever suffering I see and resonate in the world, whether it's people in hospitals or hospice people dying or poverty or mindless violence or teen suicide or um, white collar crime or abuse of power or inequities of any order, war, whatever it is that I feel concerned about. I, I recognize it because of the mirror mind, non-dual nature of reality, and it's something within me. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing I can do to work on it in myself is to engage in it in the world, knowing that world and self are not separate, which I mean, even Oprah understands, you know, it's everyone's come to this realization that what I do in the world and what the world is doing within me are not separate. And so whether it's a uh, death penalty uh, work or volunteering in a hospice or um, giving time to whatever agency or community uh, resonates with some thematic thing, um, it's, it's, a, it's so powerful to stay sane that way. Mm. Even if you don't have a community of practice, which I think is also important, having yeah. a community of practice is uh, not part of the practice. It's all of the practice, actually. So those two things. And third, um, we ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I mean to say, um, um, it could get worse. And, and, and yeah. it's, not, it's not when, it's not if, but when. Yeah. And as, because I think that's part of the nature of what we're seeing without going into it, without, which would be a whole other show, which I'd be happy to talk about. Um, We're seeing, uh, for example, a kind of a um, media takeover, somebody who's people who are very skilled at the media. And then you get the media, was it fake news? And then we have to find out the third point of view to find out what's really going on and the outrages and the magnification of emotions by the electronic media. And, you know, it's just it's crazy making. So to have a, uh, a spiritual center as a base in a material world is vital yeah. to be resilient to, and to be able to address it, not to put your head in the sand about it, because it's affecting everybody. We're all in this together. Um, and I yeah. think that the question is very uh, doubly um, important coming as it does since we're recording today on uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yeah, truly, so. truly, absolutely. Um, uh, and I, I, what I really loved about what you just said, Gary, is 
You know, so much of, um, you know, so much of our seeking or our, our way of fixing the world is, well, I'll, I'll fix myself first and then I'll be ready to go out into the world no and, engage, and engage it. Or I am healing the world by healing myself because I'm all interconnected. And yet that, which is true, but there's a yes and, which was the what you brought in, which was so beautifully said, which is the world is marrying you back at yourself. So if you engage the world and do the work in the world, being of service in some way, easing some suffering somewhere, mm. bringing compassion, bringing awareness to something, you are then healing yourself. And that, um, that incredible rhizomic nature mm. of mm. self mm. is... Uh, something I'm living into very much so right now. Uh, Say a word more about rhizome. Rhizomic being that the the natural biological world has this rhizomic nature to it where it is all interconnected. Uh, Mm -hmm. A forest is really... This horizon, right. like my seal, yes. like my celial like mushrooms are really one yes. large. They're just one large thing. continent. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, and and just what you're saying is also the truth. Because because there's no hierarchy, right? You know, in the Christian dual sense, what you said is true. Vice versa, when there is peace and an end of suffering within me yeah because i am in the world there is peace in the world yeah yeah so it's you know it's reciprocal it, it is it is um so thank you for that peace there and thank you for axing yes and i want to yeah. say absolutely gary let's do another conversation i would love to talk about this other piece that we didn't get to today which is um this interesting thing happening in our culture, this, I loved how you put it, the, um, the emotion, the outrage, but also the emotion, the magnification of emotion through media. Um, wow. It's, I haven't heard that, that quite phrasing that way, but that's exactly. Well, that's why we have emoticons. Yes. (laughs) In case you thought the word not in the sentence was negative, here's my smiley face to say (laughs) (laughs) that I'm not putting you down by using the negative tense. Right. You know. Yes, yes. (laughs) So we will unpack all that. I would love to. Or maybe, I don't know, does the the octagon ever include... uh, someone yes. from a, from a far away. Uh, generally, it's it's about five or six of us sitting around at my actual octagon table, which is a poker table. So um, it's it's us in person. Uh, we can you we have your people talk to my people. Okay, we'll, we, we'll, we will. I will be more than glad to. <laughs> that would be awesome, Gary. That would be <laughs> awesome. awesome. Uh, so thank Kelly, you Kelly, so Kelly, much Kelly, for thank this. you so much. This, thank you. Yeah, this was really great. I'm so glad you. Are, uh, that we've stumbled upon each other, however we did on Twitter. I love the rhizomic nature of the Twitterverse and uh, that, that you are here and that we've had this conversation and I, I am feeling that is the first of many conversations recorded and not recorded. 
So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you are a treasure trove of uh, so many beautiful gifts, Gary. And I so appreciate you. And everyone out there, please appreciate Gary also and get to experience his wisdom on the written page through many of his books, Pause, Breathe, Smile being one of them, which is a great primer of mindfulness. It's, you know, all you really need is a single book on mindfulness, even though I have about 20 in my library. And this I would, I is now going to be my give to gift to everyone who wants to know more about it. And if you want to take a much deeper dive into all sorts of things, Buddhism, uh, perusing this idiot's guide to Buddhism uh, is a deep, deep dive and really explains everything that people are like, well, what does that thing mean? And uh, really, really gets into the, the history and the philosophy and the practices and everything. Uh, and, and, and included in all of that, too, is all of Gary's other work, his poetry and um, everything he does. So please support Gary in his world out there. And you can follow Gary on Twitter. What is your Twitter uh, account? Oh God. Well, uh, I don't know if you can follow me on Twitter. I, you know, I don't understand it. I do it basically to keep up with you, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, serious, all seriousness aside, my, my homepage is G A R Y G A C H dot com and I think it has a link to my five Facebook pages, my two Twitter <laughs> verses. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. Five golden rings. Yeah. Gary Kelly, thank yes. you for letting me be in your life. Oh. And thank you for your life. Right right back at you. Right back at you, mm. sir. And um mm. Thank you for creating uh, an enormous amount of spaciousness here today. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. May the light within illuminate your steps along the path always. Talk to you later. Talk to you later, sir. Thank you. <laughs>